0: The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. They were united. They were living in harmony. They, they had a common purpose. What's significant about this is if, uh, if you think back to the Old Testament prophet, when the prophets were talking to the, the nation of Israel who had disobeyed God, rejected God, uh, was now in captivity, Jeremiah promises that a new covenant would be coming, and that the God would send his spirit and would fill his people with his spirit so that they could actually obey him and in Jeremiah 32 verse 39 he says, "I will give them one heart and one way, they may fear me forever for their own good and good of their children after them. And, and so uh, what we have in, in Acts chapter four verse 32 is god 's promise being fulfilled. The people of God have one heart and one mind. One heart and one soul. They're united. Now, I think this was the hope of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, when Moses, before the people entered the Promised Land, Deuteronomy, he says, there should be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all that is commanded that I may commend you today. And so there was, a, there, there was a, that call in the Old Testament law that, that the people of God, there should be no need among them. And then that didn't happen. And then when the Spirit of God comes, you have this, this moment in the history of the church where the people have one mind, one heart, and they're actually caring for one another. They're sharing everything in common. We have this example of Barnabas. Barnabas would have been a wealthy person, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. We're told he sells a piece of his process, sold a field that belonged to him. So it looks like he had other fields, but he sold a field that belonged to him. He lays it at the apostle's feet so that it could be dispersed as the apostle saw need. And they called him the son of encouragement. We will later meet uh, Barnabas. He's the one who has the, the, the uh, tenacity and the bravery to go and see Paul and bring Paul to the church in Antioch. He, he's a man of kindness. He's a man that's, uh, that's, that's uh, welcoming and obviously generous. And in this passage, we notice that there's this verse 33, "...and with great power the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus." They, they not only were a caring community, but they were a community that was still on mission, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. What we see in chapter 4 is very similar to what we see at the end of chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Listen to the description of the church maybe a few weeks earlier. I, I'm not sure. praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. And so in chapter 2 and in chapter 4, you have this incredible, beautiful picture. I call it utopia. It, it's, 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 it seems like it's the perfect setting. It seems that that's what the church ought to be like. And what's sandwiched in between those two chapters is actually the... the um, the external pressure that's coming to the church by the Jewish leaders who's trying to, to douse their proclamation of Jesus and trying to disperse them and stop them. And it doesn't stop them. They still care for one another and they continue to proclaim Jesus. But then we get chapter five. And we got that word at the beginning of the chapter it just simply says but. It's as if, yes, the promise of Jeremiah in chapter 32 that when the Spirit of God will come, that the people of God will be filled with this unity. It's here, but it's still not yet here. In the the one and others that we read, we would have read Colossians 3, verse 9. Do not lie to one another. And in this passage we have Ananias and Sapphira lying to one another. What we didn't read is 1 John 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. But, but when there's sin in the camp, that fellowship is broken. That, that, that the fellowship of the ring is broken. Our author tells us, as Peter says to Ananias in verse 3, but Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Peter's looking at Ananias, and and he recognizes that what has happened is Ananias and Sapphira have sold a piece of property, not all of their property. And in an attempt to look like Barnabas, they bring it to the apostles' feet, but they, they, they make like it's all the money that they got for the property, so that they look good. And, and, and we're told in the text that they didn't have to give it all. And they didn't even have to sell the property. It wasn't mandatory. But their problem was they wanted, to, to, they, they, they wanted the glory of man rather than the glory of God, and so they, they lied. And Peter looks at Ananias and says, Satan has filled your heart. This is a work of the devil, which is interesting because throughout the book of, of, of Acts, there's this element where the Spirit fills the church. With, 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 with those things that we are to put on that we read about last week in Colossians chapter 3. But as you continue to listen to what Peter says to Ananias... He, he, he goes on in verse 4. Why is it that you have contrived, contrived this deed in your heart? It's not only, Ananias can't just simply say, Well, Satan made me do it. Ananias has to, has to admit that, that, that he was responsible for this as well. This was his own doing. And as we listen to Peter talking to Ananias' wife, Sapphira, we begin to understand that they corroborated together. They they had discussed this, they had worked on this together. And so it wasn't just Ananias, and it wasn't just Satan, it was it was the two of them. What's striking is Ananias and Sapphira just didn't just simply lie to the church. The text makes it very clear that they lie to the Holy Spirit and God. Isn't that sobering? If if I try to make myself look good in your presence and and tell a half-truth or whatever, I'm not just simply lying to you. My lie is directed to the Spirit and to the God who created me. Whoa. Uh, uh, I think this is preserved for us and, and recorded for us because I think Luke and the Spirit of God wants us to feel the weight of this piece of history. History. And the result? God's judgment. Now, I am thankful that God, in his kindness and his patience and his mercy, does not always judge so immediately. In this case, he did, and he's always right to do so. But as we're going to learn a little later, God will always judge for those who are persistent and unrepentant. There will be judgment. And so we have this picture of utopia, and then we have this but in 5 verse 1. What do we do with this? What do we do with this? How does this apply to us in Calgary? How does this apply to community grace? What's this got to do with membership, period? Now there are two typical responses to the utopia passages. You may have heard them in different ways. The one is a kind of an overzealous that, hey, you know what? This is the way we should be. And so every one of us needs to sell our houses and sell everything we got, and we've got we to gotta move in together somehow. And there are people in church history who have taken these passages and, and have understood them that way. I, I don't know if that's... I don't think that's the correct way, but that is a, that is a response. There's another response that is, I think, uh, maybe even more negative, and, and that's kind of almost downplaying this. Well, they got it all wrong, because as, we're re- as you read through the book of Acts, you begin to understand that the church in Jerusalem eventually becomes very, very poor church. And so, some have read this and go, well, you know what, that because of the way they did this, now they're all poor, and... But I think what we're supposed to do with Scripture and, and particularly the history passages in Scripture is to read them and go, okay, well, that's what happened. Now, in light of what happened, is there some commands in here that we as a church or as a people need to follow? And if we don't see a, 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 a command that pops out of the text, we need to find it elsewhere. So, so what are some things that this early church had right one of it you would think is radical generosity no these were people who were radically generous and they were radically generous because they understood that their god sent their his son to this earth to die upon a cross to save them from their sins and if god is so generous then ought we not to be that generous with one another We can find commands in Scripture that make it very clear that we are to be be a people of generosity. What else can we learn? We see their unity. In those passages we read, Romans chapter 12, live in harmony with one another. That's not a suggestion. And so when we think back to the early church and that that moment in history and they, they lived with one heart and one One soul it's like okay well that ought to be us god would you do that in us how about their devotion to to god's word how about their gratitude colossians we we read this uh, last week we read this this morning let the word of christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The early church, that that, that moment in history, they got that. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. How about the desire to be together? I find one of the troubling signs in in the church today across North America, and yes, here in our context as well, is, is... is is how un unattached we are to each other. I think of my parents' generation, I mean, they had to be deathly ill before they didn't show up for church. They were committed to the body, but not just on Sunday. Throughout the week. In the passage on the back sheet of your one another passages we have this Hebrews ten twenty five, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near we're called to be a people that that are engaged in each other's lives in the early church it wasn't just on on the Sunday morning and on the it was uh, it was day after day they were gathering together now, now I, I understand we live in a different world in a different context and 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 our lives are full but we've got to figure out what does this look like we've got to look at our calendars and go okay well how can i change my calendar to, in order to actually be engaged in the life of the body and this is not me speaking this is god speaking what do we do with this utopia section I think we need to understand that the church is not an event. The church is not a worship service. The, the, the church is not a, a a Bible study. All those things are important. But the church is a way of life. We're the people of God, and this is how we live, this is how we function. The Spirit-filled church ought to be radically generous, united in purpose, bold, desiring to be together, devotion to knowing the Scripture, and and devoted to prayer. This is a way of life. It really is. And, And what do we do with the warning? We go, okay, well that happened in Ananias and Sapphira, and I've never seen that happen. Well, what do we do with that? Yes, God doesn't always act so immediately. He typically shows great restraint and great patience. Uh, but the warning's still true. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul wrote these words to a church, not to an individual, but to a church. All of these yous are in the plural. He says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, singular, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And so what Paul is saying to the church in Calgary, he says, we are the temple of God. And God's Spirit dwells in us. And if somebody comes along and is going to do something to destroy that one heart and one spirit, God's going to destroy that person. The, the the picture of the temple in the Old Testament was this 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 picture of um. Well, the the temple was the holy of holies. The high priest would go into it once a year. He would go in and he had to make sure that he was in he was clean. He was in right right standing with God, and he would bring in the blood to be spread upon the on upon the altar, upon the um, the mercy seat. Once a year so that the people of God would be right with God so that God could continue to dwell in the presence of His people. When we were looking at Colossians last week, Colossians chapter 3, he tells us to put some things to death. He says in Colossians 3, verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. In other words, those things don't belong in the temple. Those things don't belong among us as the people of God. Ephesians says it this way, there ought not to be a hint of sexual immorality among us. Uh, Could you imagine... uh, one of the high priests bringing in his iPhone into the holy of holies and, and while he's looking and watching porn God wouldn't put up with that and we the people of God ought not to either. Now I could put almost anything in that but 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 God calls us to a life of holiness and and God calls us to a life that we're connected. It matters what the hand does to, it matters to the foot. What the hand does will affect the foot, will affect the body. If there's bitterness in one of us, it affects all of us. If there's jealousy among us, it affects all of us. If one of, one of, if one of us is coveting what somebody else has, it affects the rest of us. See, community grace. A membership is not something that okay. Now my name is on a list, and now I have certain rights and privileges. Me- membership is not. Now I can use these things at the gym. That, that's not membership when it comes to the context of the church. When it, when we talk about membership, when it comes to the context of the church, it says. I'm the hand and I'm going to commit myself to serving the body for the glory of Christ. When we talk about membership in the church, it says, I- I'm, I'm the big toe and I'm going to use all my big toad-related toed, stuff <laughs> so that the gospel can be proclaimed and in the city. We're we're, we're together on one one task. Now, as I look at this passage and I look at these passages, uh, um, I I don't believe we can create such a church. I, I really don't. I don't think if we all stuck our heads together and go, okay, let's put together the best strategic plan and, and we will come up with this church. We'll figure out how to do it. You see, just as Satan filled Ananias' heart, we need the Spirit of God to fill our heart with the fruit of the Spirit. And that means I think we're, we're called to say, Lord, would you do this among us? Would you fill my heart with love joy peace patience goodness gentleness self-control would you do that in my life and and just as ananias contrived in his heart to do these things to lie to the holy spirit to lie to god to lie to the church i think we need to as we read last week in colossians chapter three we need to put on those things those behaviors We, we need to say you know what I'm going to intentionally engage in the life of the body. I'm going to I'm I, I'm going to be gentle with my brother in, in Christ. I'm going to be show kindness. I'm going to encourage. And I'm going to be intentional about that. I'm going to lean in. And just as Ananias and Sapphira kind of got together and collaborated on, 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 on lying to the church, uh, the, the Scriptures are very clear that we are actually to collaborate together to encourage one another, to build one another up, to challenge each other, to live this kind of life. Read that one another passages again. Tuck it in your Bible. Pick it out over the next week and just read it and go, Lord, would you do these things in me? There there needs to be a collaboration as well. Can I say something? I guess I've said a lot of things, so I'll say one more thing, then I'll shut up, okay? I'm convinced, I really am, I'm convinced that if God would do such a thing among us, that such a people whether we are small or large would be so countercultural so radically unique that our great city and i say great not because of its towers or because of its education or because of its power i say great because 1.4 million people created in the image of god I think that our great city would have to sit up and take notice. Not so much because of us, but because of the great gospel, the great good news that has shaped us and transformed us and changed us to be such a people. And so my prayer is, Lord, would you please come down And would our city and our church be filled with the awe of an almighty God? Let's pray. Lord, um, in a lot of ways this was a heavy chapter. But as we move towards Easter and as we begin over the next several weeks, beginning to examine the scriptures of how heavy it was upon your son to die in our behalf, Lord, quite frankly, it's this is nothing. It really is nothing. What you've done for us is astounding. And Lord, I pray that you and by your grace would shower this church with your spirit in such a way that we would be filled with your fruit. And that would change our behavior with one another. And that we wouldn't do these things, Lord, to be noticed, but Lord, that we would do these things so that our city would see You and be amazed at who You are. Father, thank You. Help us to collaborate with one another on how we can spur one another on to good works. Father, I pray that uh, you'd help us in the quietness of our studies and our, our, you know, as we're driving down the road to, to cry out to you to change us and transform us. Help us to think before we interact with each other and before we open the door of our homes, just pause and stop and say, Lord, I'm going to choose to live and behave in keeping with your behaviors, with the, way, you, you, the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, would you do this among us? And again, Lord, not for our sake so much as for your, for your glory. We would enjoy that, but for your glory. And so, Lord, I pray that you would cause your church to arise. You cause this church to arise. In your precious name we pray. Amen.